Hello, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of the Live Label Free Podcast. I am so happy to have you here today for another fascinating deep dive into a scientific overlap between autism and eating disorders, and that is the topic of insomnia. Okay, I know I'm saying it like it's amazing, but trust me, I know firsthand how insane insomnia can make you feel. And that's exactly why I'm going to explain why autistic individuals and those with eating disorders are more prone to sleep problems and what you can do about it so you can get that beauty sleep you so deserve. Before diving into the episode, I just want to thank my patrons for is it patrons or patrons? I don't know. Um, I just want to thank my patrons, I'll just say it different the second time, um, for supporting Live Label Free and making it possible for me to keep this podcast up and running. If you would like to show your support and love for me and my work, I would be so, 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 so grateful if you can make a small donation over at livelabelfree.com forward slash Patreon, so that's live label free, like the name of this podcast dot com forward slash P A T R E O N, and you can donate as much or as little as you feel my time is worthy of to you. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Gotta put one foot in front of the other. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, Which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. What do autism and eating disorders have to do with sleep? Much like digestion, sleep can be affected by both in different ways. So if you're on the spectrum, struggling with an eating disorder, and having trouble sleeping, there is an explanation. Actually, multiple explanations. The science is complicated, I mean, when is it not? And the research on what exactly causes what is not conclusive, but there's enough out there to clarify why you're lying awake for hours at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering why your body is not doing what it's supposed to do. So let's start with the basics. If you can think back to high school biology class, you probably know what a circadian rhythm circadian (laughs) circadian what a circadian rhythm is basically it's a 24-hour clock in your brain that regulates cycles of alertness and sleepiness based on environmental cues like the rising and the setting of the sun i mean i don't know about you but during the winter i feel like i'm so much more tired and need so much more sleep which now come to think of it makes so much sense because there's just 
less sunlight during the day. Anyways, your circadian, yeah, I said it right the next time, your circadian rhythm is actually involved in a lot more than just sleep. It evolved to help humans adapt to all kinds of changes in their surroundings, like temperature, radiation, and food availability. A lot of your body's internal processes, like digestion and the release of hormones through your endocrine system, rely on the system functioning well. Sleep alone is a multifaceted process, responsible for a lot more than just physical restoration. It's a time for your body to repair and for your brain to consolidate memories and process emotional information. I mean, there's a reason why you're so stressed and forgetful when you're sleep deprived. Your brain missed out on a crucial period of physical and mental recovery. I also believe that's why autistic people tend to need more sleep than neurotypicals do, as our brains are constantly at work trying to manage the overstimulation of a world that wasn't built for us. Here's a little more science. The superchiasmatic nucleus, SCN, is the quote-unquote pacemaker of your circadian rhythm. It's located in the anterior, so the front of your hypothalamus, which is a part of your brain, and receives your body signals about changes in light. During the day, the SCN, so that suprachiasmatic nucleus, delivers a signal that sets off a complicated chain of events, which is just too long to get into here, <laughs> um, that essentially inhibits your sympathetic nervous system, so that's your fight-flight-freeze mode, and prevents melatonin, the necessary hormone for sleep, from being released. You've probably heard of melatonin before, those pill bottles lining the shelves at the pharmacy promising you quicker and more satisfying sleep. But melatonin isn't just the name of a medication. It's a hormone produced by your pineal gland, aka your third eye, because its primary function is to let in light and darkness. At night, the departure of light signals retinal cells in your eyes to inhibit the SCN, which, through another long chain of events, stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, so your rest and digest mode, to induce sleepiness and secrete melatonin. So, back to the original question, what does all of this have to do with autism and eating disorders? To start, studies have shown lower melatonin concentrations in autistic individuals. The mechanics of this vary in the research. Some studies show abnormal circadian rhythms, while others show gene abnormalities that could contribute to reduced melatonin production. These studies also show improvement from melatonin supplementation, so it actually might be worth checking out those pill bottles filled with melatonin after all. I personally take a very small dose of melatonin each night, we're talking like half a milligram, which is a dosage I would suggest if you are struggling with sleep or even have had negative experiences with taking melatonin in the past. I mean, I personally used to take like five milligrams and I remember that I would just be so tired the next morning because I was like, okay, this is not working for me. So then I completely stopped taking it, but then I couldn't ever sleep anymore. So then I was like, I'm just going to try um, lower doses. And I did actually a lot of research to like proper and appropriate doses of melatonin. And actually like the doses that melatonin is being sold like in the United States is like insane. It's like multiple times higher than what the body can naturally make. Well, anyways, 
here in the Netherlands, you won't find it. Like I said, it's in the U.S. where you mostly find these, like, 25, 10, 20 milligram doses. Just, like, insane. Um, because, I mean, on Amazon, I, like I said, 5, 10, super strength melatonin with a whopping 20 milligram dosage, which is just insane because the body can, like, naturally make, like, 0.3 milligrams. So, like, don't even quote me on that because it's, like, it's probably less. Um, so you can just imagine if you're taking 20 milligrams of a hormone, essentially, that you can really mess up your endocrine system that way. Anyways, when it comes to insomnia and eating disorders, the research is a lot more complex. There is a lot of correlational evidence. So, for example, under eating being linked to sleep problems. I mean, I remember when I was under eating, I could just never sleep. Also, partly due to the insane and torturous mental hunger that just kept me all up all night being like oh I wish I could eat all that anyways that is the past so thankfully we are no longer in that life um but anyways those causal relationships aren't 100% clear like I said there's a lot of correlational evidence um and this is because as I'm sure you know eating disorders often come with a lot of other psychological problems so like anxiety depression OCD and more and actually this is leading me up to something I was thinking about today um it's like how so many health professionals tell people with eating disorders like oh you're too complex like I mean when I was 15 and this is like basically the whole um trigger I guess to why I wrote my book and everything to show people that you can be told that you're never gonna get better like those were literally the words that came out of the um psychiatrist's mouth um when I was 15 and she was like yeah you're never going to get better um, because your problems are too complex. Um, but I'm like, hello, this is an eating disorder clinic. And when is an eating disorder not complex? I mean, <laughs> anyways, I'm not I'm not even going to get into this right now. You can read my book. Um, and if you're not on my book wait list yet, you can get on there at livelabelfree.com forward slash book and if you want to receive a free copy of my book when it's out, um, so when it's actually, you'll receive a free copy actually before it's out, um, and you'll receive free copies of all of my other future books. I am publishing three books this year. I plan on publishing another three next year, and I just actually plan on having 10 books published in like the next couple of years. So you will get all of my books completely for free before they even launch before they even go live if you become a live label free um patron so if you um if you're supporting me on patreon you will get all my books for free so that's just a little perk um but anyways back to the whole idea of like um eating disorders being complex um all of the comorbid disorders that often come with eating disorder like anxiety depression ocd and of course autism and adhd um they can individually create disturbances in sleep so when studying the effects of eating disorders on sleep duration and quality there are a lot of intersecting factors to consider Regardless, though, there is a wealth of research to support the claim that eating disorders aren't great for sleep, as you know. Um, and as I just explained, like, I I would just lie awake all night thinking about all the foods I wanted to eat, but would never allow myself to have. Um, so if this is you, I highly recommend listening to my episodes on mental hunger. I have quite a few recent ones um, that'll really help give you that kick in the pants to <laughs> um, start honoring your mental hunger. Um, but anyways... 
Some studies have found that anxiety and depression significantly mediate the relationship between insomnia and eating disorders psychopathology, which basically means that eating disorders influence sleep through psychological distress they create. In order for study to narrow down whether eating disorders directly influence sleep, it would have to control for comorbidities like depression too. And this doesn't even take the comorbid autism into account, an overlap that is just so underrecognized in the world of eating disorders. But hey, that's again what I'm here for. <laughs> there was one study that adjusted for baseline depressive symptoms, and they found that the association between eating disorders and sleep disturbances remained statistically significant, but the relationship was weaker. This means that even without comorbidities like anxiety and depression, eating disorders still impair sleep quality, but the overall impact is stronger when coupled with other disorders. So again, someone with an eating disorder that is also autistic will most likely have an exponentially harder time falling asleep than someone who either just has an eating disorder or, or someone who is just autistic. And of course, just in air quotes because they're both things <laughs> that you have to deal with. Um, anyways, I just mentioned how under eating can be linked to sleep problems, so let's dive into that. Is nutritional deficiency on its own enough to mess with your sleep? There is a lot of research to suggest that the answer is yes. One study on the relationships between sleep, nutrition, and mood found that sleep disturbances in patients with anorexia were actually more closely associated with changes in nutritional status than with changes in emotional state. This was especially pronounced in patients who developed anorexia during puberty. Anyone else out there? I I developed it when I was 11. Um, the release of human growth hormone during sleep is directly related to slow wave sleep, so SWS, which is reduced in patients with anorexia. I actually found this last statistic super duper interesting because when I was at a healthy weight in recovery but still wasn't growing taller, I got my growth hormones tested to see if I would be eligible to receive hormonal treatment because like my entire life I was just super super small as a kid like all the class photos like little Olivia sitting at the front um and I was also actually born two weeks late um and I was the weight of like a preemie baby which is just really odd um anyways um I I got my growth hormones tested to see if I was eligible to see if that maybe all along there had been an issue with my growth hormones um but they were within normal range unfortunately <laughs> otherwise i could have received them um but they were at the super low end like but they were still within normal range um so i mean i guess there's never any way of knowing exactly how much an eating disorder impacted my growth considering it did start when i was 11 i mean that vital growth window between puberty just during puberty, like, I never had that, um, but as I write in my book, and I quote, I will remain shorter than my potential height had I never gotten an eating disorder, but I did get an eating disorder, and the journey to recovery has taught me life lessons that could never measure up to a marking on the wall. <laughs> I mean, I'm just chuckling because I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so, so, so excited for you to read my book. Um, and again, you're gonna get it for free if you are supporting me on Patreon. Um, so yeah, like I said, all my patrons will be getting a free copy of all my future books. Um, and I just, 
would really really appreciate the support and love um because as i mentioned before creating this podcast and doing all the scientific research um takes a lot of time and like i said i don't work for anyone so i don't get like paid per hour (laughs) i mean like i really do depend on people supporting me and clients and um people buying my course and all that um because i've stopped doing brand partnerships as well um so that i could serve more value to you but i do need to see an exchange there from you but anyways back to the episode on sleep because again i don't want to sound super salesy i just want to be honest um so yeah a quick explanation on the sws and the stages of sleep until the 1950s people thought sleep was a fairly simplistic and passive process then scientists started measuring brain activity during sleep using an electrocephalogram or an eeg they discovered that sleep is actually an incredibly complex and active process with multiple stages when you're awake your brain produces high frequency beta waves as you progress through the stages of sleep the frequency of those waves decreases so by stage four your brain is producing delta waves aka slow wave sleep or deep sleep multiple studies have found that patients with anorexia have lower amounts of slow wave sleep so why is this again there are many possible explanations One is that eating disorders slow your metabolism during both sleep and wakefulness, which alters slow-wave sleep. So again, SWS. Another is that anorexia has been linked with certain peptide abnormalities. And peptide hormones are hormones made up of small chains of amino acids, which are building blocks for proteins. And again, if you are malnourished, this all breaks down, so the peptides become even more abnormal (laughs) um but peptide hormones are involved in regulating your metabolism and energy levels so again when you do have active anorexia and you just your body's like not not wanting to build itself up that's why your metabolism slows down you have like no energy um and your hunger cues get messed up because ghrelin and leptin our hunger and fullness hormones are two peptides involved in the relationship between eating and sleep as well so in anorexia ghrelin is elevated and leptin is reduced the causal relationship between these peptides and sleep is still not fully understood again there's so much complex science however in animal studies where researchers induced hunger so they increased ghrelin their subjects actually had reduced slow wave sleep and increased nocturnal wakefulness i mean isn't that fascinating um some studies suggest that malnutrition is the root cause of this phenomenon while others point towards um more psychological symptoms so like depression ocd anxiety either way though sleep nutrition and emotional wellness are intimately connected so if you're struggling with one it's not at all surprising if the others start to slip as well i mean again our body is a holistic being so if you like don't okay i just thought of the weirdest like metaphor (laughs) um but i was like if you don't have a right arm like you won't be symmetrical anymore like you have two arms (laughs) i don't even know what i'm saying anyways all i'm saying is that like you can't just try and approach one part of your health um you have to like approach your health like from a holistic perspective if you truly want to be healthy so again you are not alone you are never alone and there are plenty of reasons to be hopeful i mean 
I felt hopeless when I was told when I was 15, you're just going to have to accept the fact that you're never going to get better because your issues are too complex. I mean, I was like, I just want to like crawl in a ditch and die. Like literally, I was like, if I don't believe in myself and now the professionals also don't believe in myself, like what reason is there to live for but anyways look where i am now i am thriving i am happy i have this podcast i'm writing so many books i am sleeping i am eating and i'm just so happy um so i hope that my story which again you will read in my book which i'm just so excited for it to come out in a couple months um you'll learn and you'll be inspired and empowered hopefully that full recovery is possible for you because your body is so incredibly resilient and when you have pieces like all scattered and they're all a mess um but then when you put one piece in the correct spot and then another piece in the correct spot and then you realize you maybe need to move one piece over like all the pieces will come together eventually um so here's a real world example 2016 study on 50 female patients with anorexia and i say like this is another one of the things that i'm like this is so problematic that so many of the studies are done on like female white stereotypical thin patients um we're like totally missing the mark with males members of the lg btq community um which will all be um i guess accounted for and like explained in one of my future books on anorexia and autism so very excited for that but anyways there was a study done on 50 female patients with anorexia and weight restoration had a powerful impact on sleep quality so before restoration their total sleep time and onset sleep latency which is the time it took them to fall asleep i know very fancy scientific terms um that time was significantly higher than healthy patients after weight restoration however both factors improved so much that there was actually very little difference between the two populations there is no magic pill especially if you're struggling with multiple things at once eating sleeping and being autistic in a world designed for neurotypical people which is also by the way infested with diet culture similar to healing digestion it will likely take multiple approaches before you start to notice a difference your body is incredibly smart but it's not a machine either if it's under multiple forms of stress mental or physical then its balance will be thrown off if you go to bed hungry it will try to get you to eat by keeping you awake if you are constantly overwhelmed and overstimulated it will shift gears into a state of hyper alertness which hundreds of years ago might have helped you outrun a predator but right now in the 21st century is not so useful whatever you can do to ease your body out of that hyper hypervigilance vigilance hypervigilance <laughs> what is with me today i like can't say words correctly um whether that be coaching with me therapy medication meditation or something else i mean whatever floats your boat could make a huge difference it will take time but little things add up as i always say small consistent steps over time lead to the biggest changes Before you know it, there will be no more counting sheep and staring at the ceiling. Your body will just drift off because it knows it is safe. And that is all I have for you today, my friend. I hope you learned as much from this episode as I did while researching. And if you did learn from it, again, please consider becoming a Live Label Free patron and you'll get a free book 
well, like I said, you'll get all my f- books for free. Um, and I put so much time and effort into creating free, valuable content for you. So it truly means a lot to me. If you could just take one small action, it's literally the click of a button um, to give back. Um, so yes, that's that's all I have for you today. I love you. I appreciate you. And I'll chat with you in the next episode. Bye-bye for now. Just one foot in front of the other. And you'll see around the corner soon. This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv. This podcast has been edited by my wonderful friend, Dharma. And the beautiful song, One Foot in Front of the Other, that you were now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.